You're listening to the Boots About Business podcast. We share stories from military veterans that have transitioned to the world of business. On the show, you'll hear conversations with business leaders, executives, and entrepreneurs that all started their careers wearing boots in the service of the U.S. Armed Forces. This podcast is equal parts about sharing great stories, helping veterans, helping businesses, and fostering a greater understanding of the value veterans can bring to business. And welcome, everybody, to episode number 11 of the Boots About Business podcast. I am your host, Frank Strong, and here with us today is Tim Callahan. He is an Air Force veteran and serves today as the Senior Vice President and Global Chief Information Security Officer at AFLAC. If you work in cybersecurity, chances are you've come across his ideas. He's a regular on the speaking circuit at industry conferences. Welcome to the show, sir. Thank you. One of the things that I've observed in some of the talks you've given is that you are a proponent of recruiting veterans into cybersecurity, and we're going to dig into that later in the show. But first, I always want to start off by asking guests about their service. So what motivated you to join the Air Force? I had graduated from high school early and had went into the workforce started kind of down the college path and really wasn't finding anything that interested me or couldn't get really passionate about. So I ran into a recruiter, talked to him a little bit, thought I'd go in for, I intended to go in for four years to, you know, just kind of see the world, get my head on and figure out what I wanted to do. Figured out I would take advantage of the uh, education opportunities in the Air Force and so I, I did that and just wound up the four turning into almost 23. But Yeah, 23 years. That's amazing. Now, I know that you wound up at least part in EOD and explosive ordnance disposal. What were your jobs? What was your, your career like in the Air Force? What did you do? Well, my core profession stayed EOD the entire time. Towards the end of my career, the EOD teams uh, were reorganized during the grand Air Force reorganization after, you know, the wall fell and we went through that. We joined with the civil engineering team and forces and became part of that. So that gave me some opportunities that I probably wouldn't have had otherwise to kind of expand my career. Uh, I I wound up my last 10 years almost was in a major headquarters billet and towards the end of that, I had the opportunity to, to lead a larger, uh, as a program manager, a larger emergency response capability that combined elements of certainly EOD and prime beef and firefighters and disaster preparedness guys. So that really broadened my perspective in, in the Air Force. Yeah. Did you, um, did you have a chance to go anywhere interesting, maybe for training or deployments? I did. You know, the concept there, we would be organized in very large EOD teams and then disperse out of their EOD flights is, is what we called them. And uh, I spent two different tours in Germany in a flight. And, you know, during that time, I deployed in some very interesting places. I can't really always talk about the places now, even now, but they gave me good opportunity. My first tour in Germany, that was before we had a CENTCOM. And so the area of responsibility extended, joined up with the Pacific, you know, so we we, we kind of cut that area uh, someplace around India or whatever. So I wound up doing some missions over in that, that part of the world and the Middle East and uh, fortunately got to do some things in the Mediterranean area as well. Yeah, very cool. 
Looking back on your career, 23 years in, in uniform, what do you think the service taught you? What are some things that you retain today? Yeah, so it certainly taught me, you know, I, I go about my job in a very risk management fashion, which, you know, EOD definitely taught me a very practical lesson in risk management. And, you know, at one point I gave a talk about using the military uniform all the way up to the bomb suit and robots based on risk. And if you kind of think about it, the PT uniform is meets a particular need, right, based on the environment, based on risk, and based on what it is. Uh, and then you can go through each of the, the different gradations of the battle dress on into, like I said, the bomb suit. And it's all tailored to risk. But in each of those cases, there's a give up. For instance, you're wearing the full bomb suit. You're not as flexible as you are in the PT uniform. So I think that fundamental, almost innate now view of risk is kind of built into the military professional. I mean, you're taught to always you know, have great situational awareness and base your decisions on the situation. You know, I think many of our civilian counterparts miss that in their careers. They're not faced with quite the same penalty the military professional is. I think that's well done. I'm, I'm reminded about my years in the Army where we had these risk management cards. Every single event, training or real world, didn't matter. You had to have a risk management card. And if there's one thing that I remember from that, it is that risk is equals the probability of something happening along with the severity. And then you can, you know, you can take steps to implement, to reduce that risk, to reduce that probability and bring the risk level down. You, uh, it's a great analogy. So you're a career Air Force person. You're getting ready to leave. How, how and why did you leave the service? It's just your time's up. You're ready to retire or? It was. I had gotten to the point in my career that only next assignment I could get was another headquarters billet. I mean, a lot of people say I'm crazy, but I got orders or had pending orders to Hickam in Hawaii. And, you know, my wife and I went over on our house hunting and we kind of looked at the the environment and, and it was amazing. In a headquarters billet, a program manager, EOD program manager or whatever, major command program manager, you stay on the road pretty much all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's the job, to be out with the teams, to to be assisting and equipping and leading that. that. So, you know, we went there and my wife had her own kind of career going. And I found that we did everything you could possibly do on Oahu in one week. And it, it was like, I couldn't imagine leaving her there for three years, her giving up her career. It was a very tough decision, but I, I decided to retire instead of that. You know, I've often said if I could have gotten a field command, I probably would have stayed. But, you know, everything works out for a reason. Yeah, the Air Force's loss was uh, was Aflac's gain. So. so what was the transition like? How did you land your first gig? So, again, I, I would like to say I planned all this, but most of my life, it's been taking advantage of opportunities as they present themselves. I had actually intended to join the GS service and, you know, work as a civilian in, in an EOD role mm-hmm. uh, at headquarters. My wife's company, like I said, she was building at the time we were at Scott Air Force Base in Illinois. She was working in St. Louis at one of the Cox subsidiaries, uh, Cox Enterprises. And they wanted her to come to Atlanta. So, you know, she had been following me around my whole career. So I, I figured it was time for me to follow her. So that's how we wound up here. My dad, I grew up in the Atlanta area, although my wife had not. 
so and my father was helpful. He he had quite a network of friends, and he introduced me to an associate he had. And you know, it was very interesting. The guy talked to me. We did a informational interview type thing, and his name was Dick Wasser. But he told me he says, Tim, I can hire you today. But I think you can do better than what I can offer. I have a friend over at SunTrust that happens to be looking for someone. Their VP for construction management has just retired. And he introduced me, made a phone call. I talked to him the next day and he offered me the job. And I was still on terminal leave. So I never really had a period of unemployment. Mm -hmm. I was very, very fortunate to go right into SunTrust, start building out a retail construction management program. One of the things that I found, my headquarters staff role really helped in that, in being able to understand the components of a program, assemble a program, document the program, because that was one of the things that was really lacking. And the reason Ted, my new boss at SunTrust, had hired me is to be able to build a and document a repeatable process for building out branches. Mm-hmm. And so I did that. I had enough of the construction background from, like I said, the expansion into civil engineering, but I I definitely had the process and the documentation and procedures and being able to build formality in the program. So that was very instrumental in my success there. Yeah. So construction management, that seems like a far cry from EOD and then between EOD and cybersecurity where you are now. What was that transition like? How did you get into cybersecurity? Well, when I was in the military, I I always, you know, EOD units are small self-contained units. So we all had additional duties. I generally migrated more towards the administrative as an additional duty, the and you know, things like information security officer, communication security officer, operation security officer. And so I had all of those additional duties. So throughout my career, I generally just was very interested in that and took additional courses and training that the Air Force offered in that, especially as we were moving more into security. And EOD has a vast amount of classified information, and we were starting to digitize more. Mm -hmm. And so the combination of those things, making sure that it was secure, knowing the discipline, again, understanding the whole risk matrix and the risk management process, really helped me. So as SunTrust made a decision in 2000, 2001 timeframe to go from separate banks into one combined large bank. And when they did that, they had a need for a corporate security program. So I had met a gentleman there and he asked me to come over and establish a PMO type concept within the security division. And so that's really how I started combining my skills with program project management, combining my skills with security as as a discipline, my risk management skills. And then that led for me taking over a fairly large group. So keeping the PMO and then also having the access management function and support services function for the security division. And then I was recruited as a CISO to a bank up in Connecticut and back to SunTrust, yeah. more senior role. So that's kind of how it progressed. Huh. So today you're the chief information security officer, a very large insurance company. And one of the ways I found you was a talk that was recorded. It was a talk that you gave in 2017 to the RSA Security Conference, which for anybody in the cybersecurity world or outside the cybersecurity world, the RSA Conference is enormous. 
back in those days, so many years ago, we used to have real conferences given the COVID era, but you presented a case study on Aflac. And one of the areas that you focused on was on building a team. And at the time, I don't know if it's still true, you know, you might have perspective on that, I welcome that, but there was, you know, huge talent crunch in cybersecurity. The headlines in the security trades were 0% unemployment. They just couldn't find talent. And one of your solutions you offered in your presentation was recruiting veterans. I ask you, is there still kind of a talent crunch? And then why are veterans such a good fit, you think, for cybersecurity? Yeah, there's certainly still a, a talent crunch. Well, I've heard all kinds of estimates. I, I think the last one is, you know, there's one and a half million, or by 2025, there'll be one and a half million vacant cybersecurity kinds of roles. And again, you know, a lot of people look at cybersecurity as just a, a singular type discipline, but it's really not. I mean, you, you have sub-disciplines across, you know, especially emerging in threat intelligence and, you know, security operations and incident response, business continuity, risk assessment. A risk assessment analyst is just critical to success of any security organization. So in pockets, especially if you get into the more technical security engineer, security architects, those kinds of things, we're still experiencing a shortage. And I think, you know, military, you know, as we spoke earlier, there's kind of this innate discipline that's kind of inbred mm -hmm. into military, and I'm sure I'm using all kinds of wrong terms for it, but but it, it becomes almost second nature of gauging the situation, gauging risk, and then reacting to that appropriately. And that goes across most military disciplines. Now, you know, obviously, if, if I can get a veteran that happens to come out of cyber and the big buildup that's been going on in the military, that's very helpful because certainly they have the experience and they can hit where we really have the shortage kind of in that in the mid-career area. But even if that's not, you know, there's enough related fields that we can kind of bring them over. We've been working quite a bit with local colleges and, and uh, tech schools to have some accelerated programs so that a veteran can, you know, go into one of these accelerated programs, get the core cyber skills that they would need. We could bring them in maybe on an entry position. But, you know, that discipline that a successful military professional builds, I think transcends very good to our role, to our world, and offers employers a good opportunity. I mean, you know, the fact that they know that it's important to get up every day and get dressed and come to work. You know? Yeah. I mean, that sounds like it ought to just be table stakes, but, you know, sometimes in the civilian world, that's not as as fostered. How about the, the lexicon? If words represent how we think, I've noticed that cybersecurity tends to use a lot of the language that military uses. Things like, you know, reconnaissance, you know, Actions on the objective, exploitation. These are all words and terms that mean very specific things that are similar in cybersecurity and the military. Yeah. And, you know, I've thought about that, that myself. I don't know if that's because, especially in the early days of building out professional security, again, very often it was the military. I, I can remember looking back at different places, I can look at, you know, where the majority of our team was former military. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if it came about because of that. Or you know, maybe because of you know government regulations and programs. But you're right. I mean, the concept of threat intelligence. Yeah. You know, very often I've had guys that have military intelligence background, not necessarily cyber, but military intelligence background, and the discipline of gathering intelligence 
understanding human intelligence, system intelligence, and understanding you know, the, the whole gamut of intelligence and the field manual that kind of breeds that is very important to our threat intelligence program. Yeah, so that makes an awful lot of sense. Do you think, you know, we, we, we touched on this briefly, but do you think the skills matter? You know, for example, the military has some pretty, you know, sophisticated cybersecurity stuff. You mentioned you had gotten some training in your role prior to transitioning to the civilian world, you know, and AFLAC is, you know, headquartered in Columbus, right? You've got Fort Benning, which yeah. is, you know, home of the infantry for the U.S. Army. Those aren't the type of guys you typically think about getting into a technical career or technically oriented career like cybersecurity. Do you think their skills matter and the ability to make a transition? I do. I mean, I think there's easier transitions with skills. I do think the military has done a really good job, even when I did, went through the transition program, uh, transitioning in, into the civilian world. I think it does a good job of helping the military member understand how to translate their skills into a civilian workforce. For cyber, if you took the typical infantry guy and just put him into the cyber world, there would probably not be as easy a transition. And you know, I can talk Army pretty strongly. I spent a lot of time with Army. Of course, EOD is a joint service program. I think as we were yeah. talking earlier, uh, they did dismounted patrols with the Army. I actually went to the an Army leadership school in lieu of my senior service school at, on an exchange program. So, you know, I've got quite a history with the Army. So I'm not being at all disrespectful. What I'm saying is that there are certain skills that lend itself However, if you took a typical infantry guy because of the discipline, and again, it's not easy being an infantry guy, <laughs> especially right. nowadays. You've got all kinds of devices yeah. you rely on, technology and everything. But what we could do is get them in one of these accelerated courses that's popping up kind of all over the country. A matter of fact, one of my additional duties, if you will, I'm the chairman of the National Technology Security Coalition which is an advocacy group for CISOs on Capitol Hill. And the one thing that we've really been advocating is the Cyber Core program be extended to community colleges and tech schools, not just universities, so that we can you know, have maybe military veterans go directly into one of these vocational type uh, spheres and because of their core discipline, learn the skills they need and then then wind up in, you know, filling one of the cyber roles. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I didn't I don't mean to discount infantry guys either. I spent my career in infantry and today's the average soldier today in the infantry isn't what it was no, 20 years no. ago. They've got optics and laser range finders and and really sophisticated comms, you know, ciphertext, frequency hop. You know, there's all kinds of, you know, IED detection devices, yeah. drones. It's just, it's incredibly technical, even on the infantry side. It's not just a, you know, a bubble walking through the woods with a weapon anymore. How about, so let's get into some of your advice to people, you know, thinking about making a transition. So, you know, a veteran that is, you know, on active duty, thinking about making a transition, what, what suggestions would you have for them about you know, if they're contemplating a career in cybersecurity, how do they make that leap? Well, I think first, doing a good self-assessment skills assessment, which is a, a very important discipline regardless, right? You, you just, you need to, you know, have a, a good self-awareness, a good awareness of what your skills, what your aptitude is. And, you know, quite honestly, it's like anything, not everyone has the what it takes to do everything, right? So, I mean, being honest with yourself and understanding that, 
and understanding that aptitude, you know, for a military professional, they, they have a good tool is they have one, their ASVAB, right? That could be a good yeah. indicator yeah. into a direction as far as the aptitude, but making a good assessment, understanding it. And then if, if they feel like they'll be a good fit for cyber, then seek out those programs. There was a, a friend of mine, his son was actually doing a reserve component, I think mm-hmm. it's Army Reserve component. And he asked the very same question, I, you know, what I want to do. And I said, well, you're in the reserve. See if there's any opportunity that you can cross-train into one of the cyber fields and certainly get that, the expense of the military, so to speak, that training that you need. That's one way to do it. You can transition in the reserve. And I know that in all the services, there, you know, there's the same kind of cyber shortage. So most of the service ha- have reserve programs. And oftentimes when you lose leave academia, duty if you have reserve commitment, you can cross-train into this. So that's one option. Another is to look, find out the community you want to be in and look at, at the opportunities that are available to you. You know, it, are there a vocational technical school that can give you that that skill? You know, obviously, if you're already in the cyber world, then that's one up. But I think it's very important to start building a network before you get out of the service uh, as part of your transition. I've had several people reach out to me that retired officers uh, or contemplating retiring that got involved in, you know, mill buds or vet buds kinds of programs. Uh, and I think that network and take advantage of people you know. In my earlier story, had my dad not known Dick Wasser, you know, it was just a, a relationship. And, and again, that didn't give me a job. What that did is that got me an introduction. Yeah. And taking advantage of that, taking advantage of people you know, your family members, et cetera, right. uh, just to, to get yourself positioned. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. How about for your peers? I'm thinking about other CISOs, other chief information security officers that you know may not have the exposure or experience with the military that you have. And you know, what suggestions would you have for them in recruiting veterans? They're dealing with a talent crunch. They're looking for talent. What would you recommend to them? Well, the same thing. Use this as an avenue. Any company, public company especially, but any company, there's probably some corporate social responsibility component to your company. And any part of a good corporate responsibility program has a veteran outreach program, you know, a minority outreach program, uh, you know, these programs that are there to make society better. And so I, I do advise people to you know, recruiting veterans, being open to that is part of a good a corporate social security program. It's also very good that you build that network and that opportunity and have the conversations. Again, in Georgia, we're so blessed. You know, we have the National Cyber Center in Augusta and, you know, the Army at, up at Fort Gordon, you know, has opened that up. And, you know, the, the opportunity just to meet a lot of people that way is fantastic. But even, you know, CISOs that that aren't that close, you know, they can reach out to military installations, become part of the transitioning program. When I first, when Fort Benning was still open, not Fort Benning, but uh, Fort McPherson was still open, I worked in Atlanta and participated in the, the transition program, went over there and gave talks. You know, I thought that was just my responsibility to give back some. But, you know, the military transition programs are always looking for civilian partners that will come in and and talk and give opportunity. Yeah, I didn't think about that, but for sure, I can't tell you how many deployments I've came off where 
there's a whole program and they're they're looking for people to give presentations on, you know, what what's a day in the life in cybersecurity? Because some of these guys don't know. Yeah. And gals, and there's a real opportunity for them. If someone has a question for you, if they want to reach out, where can they find you online? Uh, LinkedIn, certainly. You know, I, I find that I almost get as many LinkedIn emails now as I do traditional emails, but that is, or, or you know, you can email, email tcallahan at aflac.com. Pretty simple to remember. All right, excellent. We will, we will put those in the show notes at bootsaboutbusiness.com. Tim, thank you so much for your service. Thanks for coming on and sharing your experience. And for all the things you do, really being an advocate for veterans out there and, and sort of uh, opening up a door and, and showing them an industry that they could get into if they so choose. Thank you, Frank. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for listening to the Boots About Business podcast. Please know you can subscribe to this podcast wherever you catch your podcast. And while you are there, won't you leave us a nice review? It'll help the show and in turn help other veterans. Finally, if you know someone that's a veteran in business or is an entrepreneur with a story to share, hit us up using the contact form on the show's website. That's bootsaboutbusiness.com. That's all one word, bootsaboutbusiness.com. Until next time, I am your host, Frank Strong, out here.